Hi, this is Paul. I had a conversation today with uh, someone who, it, it might come to the channel, he's reviewing the video now, it might come just to the whenever, now I have a third option, so when I do have a conversation with someone, whether they're a supporter or someone who grabbed a rando slot, um, I there's sort of three options, you can, four options, one is we never record the video, that happens fairly regularly, second is we record the video and it just is property of the person that I give it to, and I guess I still have it too, so I could look at it if I wanted to think about things. The third way is that I share it in the randos section of the membership section. That's $3 a month. And then the fourth is it goes on the open channel. I don't know what way this is going to go, but I just had a wonderful conversation today with him. And he, such a smart guy, he, he, he prompted so many new ideas for me. One of the things he talked about is the difference between community and society. And, and that, that to me was, was really powerful because community is, society is very much sort of a hyper object. And as we continue to develop this idea of hyper objects, we hopefully will gain better language, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that environment and be able to talk about it better. Kale Zeldin asked about principalities and powers on Twitter the other day. You know, the new language is pointing to what people in the ancient world knew. I think in some ways our situation is more complex, partly because of media. Once writing came into be, there was a new spiritual level. Once uh, the printing press came into be, then spirits could... Uh, spirits had sort of a new way of instantiating themselves in writing in the printing press. It could go, it could go large. Now with visual media and video and all of this, um, things are developing even more quickly. And and to figure out the language and how to talk about these things is getting more and more difficult. So I'm just going to pull up my notes from my conversation because one of the things that we talked about, Benjamin. Boyce has now had a conversation both with James Lindsay and with Jonathan Peugeot after the uh, Orthodox drive-by that James was doing. And I, I still doubt James would have any understand or much understanding of what Jonathan is doing. That's because it's really difficult for us to know something beyond what is in our minds. Well, let's, there are two clips that I wanted to play from these recent Chris Williamson videos. And based on what I said now, maybe I'll start with the first one. Before I get there, let me talk about the difference between community and society. So, so what, I, what I said about uh, Matthew and James is that if they were in community, this difference would be different. There would be more hope for actually resolving it. Uh, Luke Burgess, who's one of the um, most popular now contemporary uh, pollsters, there was this article that came out a little while ago that contrary to sort of the, the progressive media narrative, people who actually go to church their political ideology and polarization is far more moderate than people who have stopped going to church. It's the people who have stopped going to church that 
basically get subject to are, are much more easily fall prey to ideologies. Now, the guy that I talked to, he talked about, he gave me a couple other podcast recommendations, talked about the fact that the military has looked at this a lot because when community fails, culture basically the failure of community because cults are all about centralized authoritarian control over the people. Community is different. Community, there's more of a collective control amongst the people. The, the, in churches, um, even whether, whether the churches are predominantly, as many churches are, say, politically in one way or another way, churches tend to mediate this. I think because community, for the most part, gives us a sense of reality, and we do have to our sense-making is not done inside our heads. This is, again, akin to Peterson's commentary lately about sanity. We, we make sense between each other, and this requires community. And so the isolation of Americans and the sense-making that's going on in screens, I think, is a big part of the overall insanity that is taking place. People are having fewer and fewer real relationships, real interactions, and everything is being mediated by these screens. Here was a, here was a really interesting section on this video with, uh, with Chris Williamson and Constantine Kissin. Here's another thing, right? I'd be interested to get your take on this. I brought this up with that same uh, fitness influencer a couple of weeks ago, mm. Sarah. Who had a really good response as well. Now, before I do this, I do appreciate the irony that I just said. These screens are making us crazy. And then I play a video. It's the nature of where we're at right now. Internet incidents, big ones. People in the real world use the response of the internet. They crowdsource their sense making to how other people responded. So you'll have seen these gym TikToks of girls videoing themselves, working out, and sometimes there's a guy in the background. Mm. And if the guy looks over a bit much because for whatever reason, he's looking at her, he's looking at the camera, he's looking at himself, he's doing whatever, sometimes they make a big song and dance about it. The first big one of those that happened, it could have gone either way. You could have tossed a coin and I would have said, I don't know. The internet may say that this is reprehensible. I didn't, I thought it was fine, but... I could have seen the internet going on the other side of the fence and saying, yeah, sure, find this guy, like dox him, shoot him, blah, blah, blah. It didn't. And that now has created a new uh, bar of behavior, expected behavior, both for men and for women. The interesting thing that it made me realize is the women who saw that TikTok, had it have gone the other way and had it have been completely reprehensible and, and totally not allowed, would then have reset their worldview expectation way more sensitive their radar is now looking for did that guy glance over three times or more in the space of 90 seconds if so this equals a dangerous situation because the internet told me so and it's a, a very sort of slippery slope in one direction only it only moves now well moves towards more sensitivity not more robustness right there's the infamous milk carton situation in the 1980s. So this isn't just screens. This is human behavior. You can find this. You can find this experiment online about basically about um, 
how how much people go along where they have this psychological test. Maybe I can find it. Can't find it. Anyway, it's they, they, they set up the test basically where there's this question which and anybody can look at it and just decide, well, here's this is true and this isn't. But they had all they had all the women who were sort of you know in on it. All the women agree, and then the one woman at the end is like looking around, and she agrees too. And this was sort of the example of trade agreeableness, and how women tend to be more agreeable than men. And again, remember the bell curve and all of those kinds of things that we've talked about many times. And we're, we're just we're just very susceptible to this. We we work as a we work as a group, and we work as a group to because that's how we live, that's how we succeed, that's how we level up. But a lot of this stuff is now being intermediated by the internet. And that, of course, means it's subject to algorithms, it's subject to manipulation with people with agenda, it's all subject to all sorts of things. I thought that was interesting. Perception is projection. What's that mean? It means that you see what you expect to see. You perceive your own projections of the world. Uh now, the point that Kissin is making here is also true, but it's slightly different from Williamson's point. I mean, Williamson's point is that people are getting their sense-making from the internet, from a TikTok. And, and once that sense-making is outsourced, there's all sorts of possibility of shaping by people who want things shaped in a particular way. And But it's dicey because these... I loved, I was just listening to the Jordan Peterson, I was just listening to the Jordan Peterson, Niall Ferguson talk. I thought this was a great line. In the world. So two, two thoughts. Uh, th there's only one law of history. I, I'm, a, I'm a historian. Uh, and that's the law of unintended consequences. And so what typically happens is that well-intentioned people uh, come to power, uh, identify a problem which they, they feel they must address, and they undertake measures uh, to address the problem which have unintended consequences. This was true when, back in the 1960s and 70s, people persuaded themselves that there was a terrible problem of overpopulation, that Malthus was going to be vindicated, and therefore there had to be drastic population control, especially in Asia. And that turned out to have all kinds of unintended consequences. In our time, uh, fears not just of uh, climate change, but of uh, dangerous technological developments have given rise to a view which my friend Nick Bostrom and Oxford exemplifies that we need to have very, very powerful surveillance powers to prevent bad things uh, from happening, whether it's to prevent uh, CO2 emissions uh, uh, in reaching uh, the levels of the net zero program, or whether it's to stop dangerous research being done with artificial intelligence. We, we need to empower the state to have even greater powers of surveillance than the mid-20th century totalitarian regimes had. And so one of the key arguments in the book Doom is that actually totalitarianism is the thing most to be feared. In the 20th century, totalitarian regimes cause way more premature death than anything else. And so the last thing we should want to do in the 21st century is to create new forms of totalitarianism out of the belief that only an all-seeing state can prevent disaster. So this is a really, really important argument that, that the book makes. And I think it's become even more relevant with the major breakthroughs we've seen in artificial intelligence in the two years since the book uh, was published. The other thing that I would say is we want the universe to be moral. 
uh, we are very strongly inclined to think when bad things happen to us that they may in fact be retribution for well he goes on to make the other point i really wanted to make that that one i really wanted to have him make that one point that you know for all this jiggering we're not very good masters of the universe, despite the, the promise of rationality, and this is going to happen. And again, rationality, let's, let's not say rational, let's say intentionality is, is undermined by combinatorial explosiveness because you can't be intentional about everything. Because then you have a totalitarian system. And even then, you can't be intentional about everything. Because the more you're intentional about things, the, the, even that attention itself is going to start redirecting other things. Okay, back to this one. Uh, you had that fucking hyper-viral moment about the scar yeah. makeup. Tell, tell it again for the people that so don't So they know. did an experiment where they told a group of women that they're going to put scarring on their faces or f visual disfigurements of some kind. And then they would go in, into an interview. And the purpose of the experiment is to work out whether the interviewer is going to treat them differently because of their visual, facial disfigurement. What they didn't tell the women is as they were leaving to go for the interview, they touched up their makeup and without showing them the facial disfigurement, removed the scarring. So they went into the interview thinking they're facially scarred, but they weren't. And they came back reporting massive levels of discrimination, specific comments that the interviewer had made about them that they perceived. So you, you, you see what you expect to see. This is why teaching people victimhood is so dangerous because it makes them victims. It, it makes them expect certain things and then they will react differently. I mean, you know, police interactions are a good example of this. If you expect that the police are going to treat you badly because of who you are, you're going to act in a different way and therefore cause more problems. And I say this as somebody, you know, I was a very angry young man and I, my wife used to piss me off so much. She would constantly say, like, I'd get into an argument with somebody and I'd be like, that guy's a prick. He did this. And she'd be like, you are creating those situations. You know that, right? And I was like, no. you're." And it took me like a good 10 years to work out. Absolutely, I was. Absolutely, I was. Right? So we, we perceive the things that we put out into the world. And this is, you know, Peterson talks about this is you can't see without hierarchy because your brain has to know what to focus on. And what you focus on is a function of the filter that you project onto the world. I'm focusing on you now instead of the bookshelf behind you. I could have been sitting here picking out a good book this entire time. It's been a waste. But so that's, that's what's happening there. But it's interesting. I mean, I said something at the time. I was like, look, these creepy men need to stop staring at women in gyms. Otherwise, uh, anyway, the conversation is going to go in a different direction about nude gym shorts. But I mean, his point there is incredibly important because this attention itself is part of the is is part of the program. Now, this this, again, is another piece of what's undermining the Enlightenment and modernity today because the project of, the, of modernity is in many ways built upon the scientific lab leak where we imagine no 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 these these difficult the difficulties of projection we can eliminate that with well with what with another voice oh okay and another voice and another voice and another voice okay so now we're now we're crowdsourcing someone mentioned i should look it up it's 
I, I read the comments of these videos. That's why I always say leave a comment because I don't get to every comment, but I try as best I can to read the comments of these videos. And the reason I read them is not because I'm trying to be a nice guy and I see you and you want to be seen. The reason I read the comments is because you people leave a lot of good things in the comments. That's why I keep going back. If the comments were just shit posting and all kinds of other stuff that wasn't worth any of my time, I wouldn't read the comments. I read the comments because you think you see things. And the comment I made on the on the statistics video was didn't Peter Thiel have a chapter in his book uh, Zero to One? Um, you are not a lottery ticket. And uh, yeah, so I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to read this. Modernity tries to, okay, well, we're going to use statistics because the, the samples are too large. And again, that's a good, that's a good thing. Part of what we're dealing with right now is not losing science. In fact, in that way, I'm together with sort of a bunch of the new atheists that we don't want to lose science. Science is a good thing. But science is not what we think it is. And again, the, the, the Peterson video today was a really good one. And again, this is this is again another piece of this, the the fall of the Enlightenment. And I, and I agree with Peugeot, the counter Enlightenment. I don't think that's the right language. We we wait for language to emerge. Again, we, we saw this with woke because there was a long time in which people didn't quite know. And once the word woke kind of was agreed upon, then sort of that spirit congealed, and we had a name for it. And I always think about these stories. Um, I run Pentecostals into a degree from the Bible. Once you find the name of the spirit, well, now suddenly you have a handle on this thing a little bit. Even though we can't define woke always, it's, again, it's sort of like defining pornography. You have a sense of it. You have a sense of the spirit of it. But again, part of what he's about to say here about science is part of the downfall of this peak modernity enlightenment style of thinking chapter on developing political incompetence and also one on, you know, a, a sort of a belief in scientism. And that seems to me to be part of your attempt to assess the local failure while we're concentrating on the global apocalypse. And so what, what do you make of that, that concatenation of causal forces? There are two things that, that are going on, I think. One is that uh, the more people uh, refer to the science the more you should suspect that they are engaged in some quasi-religious activity. Uh, because the notion of some settled body of knowledge called the science is, is at odds with the reality of the scientific method, which is a constant struggle uh, to falsify hypotheses through experimentation. Uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic, but I think it predates it, it was already going on in debates about climate, there was a lot of spurious invocation of the science. And one might as well have been saying the gods or the, the deity, because it was in fact uh, quite unsci unscientific thinking that was going on. I'll give you an illustration of this. Uh, a great delusion is to imagine that we can prevent the rise of average temperatures by large scale asceticism in the West. Uh, we must give up internal combustion engines. Uh, we should give up eating meat and so on. If we end up buying electric vehicles and solar cells manufactured in China with electricity generated by burning ever larger quantities of coal, the probability of, of reducing uh, average temperatures is zero 
because an, an, a, that that is in fact the, the the perfect illustration of of wrongheadedness in in action. Uh, if one accepts the premises of uh, the debates on the causes of rising temperatures, it makes no sense at all uh, for us to behave this way. Our, our asceticism will make no difference if if it manifests itself as increased burning of coal in China. So that that's the first thing. Now, the an interesting aspect of this video was the apocalypticism and the asceticism and how those things tend to go together. And I do... Uh, the reason I decided not to sort of make this video the focus of the video I'm currently making is because I, I do want to finish it in the Daily Wire section so I can hear the whole thing. And because there's a lot more to say about this, this end of the world stuff, because it has a lot to do with this debate about what on earth we mean by the world. And, and that goes all the way back to the Gospel of John. But the, the Constantine Kissin point about projection is an, is an incredibly important one because what Peugeot keeps trying to say and what Peterson keeps trying to say is that these value hierarchies are not simply derived from the set of facts. They're derived from innumerable things. Many of these things, again, I think Verveke's right, that often are... Our intuitions are double-edged sword. Our intuitions are what we need to do the relevance realization to sort of sort through the world. But they're also the creation of our blind spots because that sort of selection, once I choose, as Constantine Kissin just said, once I choose to pay attention to Chris, I'm no longer paying attention to the books. And that's this monofocal aspect of our attention. And so to pull back into where Chris started, well... Someone makes a video of a very attractive, maybe I'll play the rest of it, a very attractive woman in a gym wearing completely tight clothing. And the video I saw, she was like doing thrusts. And it's like, yeah, a, 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 guy, a guy nearly dead would sit up in his hospital bed to look at this. Um, I mean, this is... Very basic human biology, not overcome. And Grimm loves to play this clip of me laughing from, I can probably find it. But I don't think in general that is true or not the whole story. One of the very good pieces of evidence for that is that the, the age of victimization for girls, or girls mostly and women, tracks pretty much perfectly the age of peak sexual desirability. And the age of perpetration for men and boys tracks pretty much exactly um, the peak of sex drive. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can really explain that through the power analysis. I think you have to be thinking about this as an aggressive expression of sexual desire. And if you think in those terms, then my argument is that we need to be thinking quite differently about what the solutions are to sexual violence. Um, because the, inter the, the interventions that are generally proposed by feminists are all ideological. It's all to do with teaching boys in particular at younger and younger ages, um, teach them feminist politics essentially, and, and hope that this will prevent sexual violence. I don't think that it will. T teaching feminist politics will curb young men's um, sexual desire.
can see why she left there thinking no this is dumb because of course for many christian men they have been working (laughs) their life i mean when jesus says you know when jesus talks about looking and lusting Many Christian men who are disciples of Jesus work very hard on this area of life and getting lectured to about feminist politics. I mean, churches have been throwing hellfire and damnation at boys and young men for a very long time to try to curb this, but we're going to lecture you on feminist politics and that's going to teach you. (laughs) This is one of the funniest things I have ever heard. (laughs) It's so bad. This is so meta. I'm laughing at myself just with a shorter beard. So then the question, well, how, how are we to understand this man in the gym looking at this woman three times in 90 seconds? Well, the answer is obvious. Chris basically says it. Well, uh, men are attracted to women visually very strongly and the fact that he glances and doesn't say anything or do anything good on him um anyway that's not what this video is about it's about the fact that the world is very complex and we are making we're doing our sense making on the internet now We're doing our sense-making with the algorithms increasingly involved. That's sobering. And what's more, the sample size. I mean, even if the algorithms are not, you know, choosing for this, they're, they're choosing for attention, they're choosing for reaction. But the people that we're deciding to outsource our sense-making to are, are probably not good samples of this. And again, this is sort of where community, I told the guy in the video, I said, I'm going to use this idea. I, I've said all along, pastors are thieves. When when you, when you trot out a new idea in front of me and I think, oh, that's useful, I'm going to steal it. I, I am going to steal it. That's why I'm so easy to colonize sometimes. If I think your idea is good, I'm taking it. And uh, so... So if he decides to let me share the video in the randos section or, or wherever, uh, you'll you'll see you'll see him doing his colonization with me because it's powerful, and it immediately made me think of this clip. So these clips, you know, sort of, sort of what happens with a lot of these videos is I'll, I'll watch this video and I'll see this clip. I think, ooh, that's good. I wanna, I wanna, I, I need to use that. I wanna bring that forward. I wanna talk about that. I wanna play with it. But again, I don't figuring out how then to bring them into the conversation, how to contextualize them, that it usually takes time. One of the things I've been talking about in the live shows is your comparison group is incorrect. The fact that, you know, we have the opportunity to sit down and listen to anybody on the planet, right? The best minds, the best athletes, the best thinkers, the most articulate that are alive right now, all listen to the people that have died that were around when video cameras existed. 
and you can compare yourself to that group. Yeah. But that's not your comparison group. If you have the impetus to sit down and listen to me and you waffle on for three hours about these deep topics, these interesting ideas, you are so already selected out of the normal group. Mm-hmm. You're already asking yourself questions that the right questions. almost nobody almost nobody else is, right? But because your comparison group are people that are unbelievably high performing. I remember before I started my podcast, I'd listen to to you or to Sam or to Joe. And I'd think, God, their recall is is amazing. It's so it, it's like that they they've just got this eidetic memory and everything that they've ever read is able to come to the surface and they're able to say it in this way that's completely seamless and all the rest of it. But you go, okay, well, are you really person that's never recorded a podcast before going to compare yourself to Joe Rogan man that's recorded a thousand and spent 10,000 hours on stage and done all of this UFC commentary and done all of this stuff in terms of TV. Is that really who you're going to compare yourself to? And it's unfair. And the problem that I see is people who have big dreams for themselves and want to do great things, they like to set their sights high. Yeah. And yet they feel despondent in the comparison. Yeah. So I think Well, that there's that, a pride in that too, eh? Like, I can. Well, let, let's hold off on the. Jordan's going to tee off on this thing this is an excellent point and i remember when i heard i would listen to this for the first time it really grabbed me but this is an excellent point and he's he's making the point with respect to comparison and and this can this can make people this can depress people i'll never be i'll never be as buff as as chris or i mean chris chris has really become outstanding at this and whether he's just super prepared or he has good recall, I mean, all these things. Chris is Chris is really doing a wonderful job, and I, I'm really I'm really happy for him. I think this is I I, sh- I should contact him and get him in for a Randall's conversation because I would like to know more about his life because he talks about it and he's lived already. He's lived. He's not that old already. He's lived a very interesting life. But so one level of this is sort of comparison. Oh, I'll, I'd never. I'd never be like Chris or some of you. Oh, I, I can't do this like Paul. Paul can talk into the camera and yep, yes, Paul can do this. There's other things that Paul can't do very well. Those of you who have played paintball with me know things that Paul can't do well. Um, there's a whole bunch of things Paul can't do well. And so there's this, so in some ways we're comparing ourselves to these, to these people on the screens. I want to add another element to that in that people on the screens tend to be, this is, part of the point he's making tend to be extreme examples too because they've sort of been pushed up a hierarchy and they're not only extreme examples of excellence they're probably also extreme examples of personality they're they're generally high in extroversion because they're willing to be out here and they're they're able to talk into the camera and they feel comfortable probably foolishly so sharing so much of their lives out into the public like this there's a lot going on there and don't feel bad that you're not doing this. But how again, does this relate to the bigger theme of society and community? Because society celebrates this and society is sort of this hyper object that's out there that so often I was listening to the Brett Weinstein, Dave Rubin thing. And maybe I'll play some of that. That 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 conversation was driving me crazy on all sorts of levels. We're going, I think, is unsurvivable for uh, the 
the species, really. And you know, I wish I wish there was more nuance about it, but that is that is how it looks to me. All right, so let's do the black pill first. So. What is the black pill? Where is it that you see us going that if we don't rekindle, we are going to end up at? What does that place look like to you? Um, as we may have talked about in London, the, there are really two bases on which you could run a civilization. One of them involves uh, just simply narrowly trying to advance your genes into the future at the expense of other people. Oh, and at this point, most of you know exactly what he's going to say because he's been saying the same thing the whole time. And there, that doesn't mean there's no validity to it. And it doesn't mean, and I've addressed his thesis quite often, but you generally, the more he falls at it, kind of falls apart because then the answer to this is sort of, attention and he, he's Brett is definitely I, what I appreciate about his work is sort of the he, he recognizes that there is the genetic track and then there's the mimetic track and in many ways for human beings the mimetic track has superseded the genetic track yet his thesis is based on the fact that in the end the genes triumph and on what basis do the mimetics triumph? And the answer to that is fundamentally sort of a modernist ethos. Well, we can pay attention to this and therefore survive it. Oh, okay. So intentionality wins, and we already talked about that earlier in the video. But where I was going with this is in terms of society as a hyper object. That's, it's, if you listen to this conversation, it's we, 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 and based on the video that I just released this morning with respect to, oh, the fact, and I, I thought, thought that thesis was really interesting about how sort of the Enlightenment takes Christian human nature, sort of, you know, covers it up, blurs it in a little way so that it can package it as, as a universal thing, but not a universal thing in the sense that um, that religions have sort of claimed them to be, which sort of became the specific religious track. And if you listen again to Niall Ferguson, the way he was talking about religion, um, that word religion is a very fudgy term. It is very slippery and it keeps getting used in different ways. And that doesn't mean the different ways of talking about it are unhelpful or incorrect necessarily, but you really have to watch the definition of that word, just like you have to really watch the definition of the word world, especially when you're talking about end of the world. As a pastor, I can go to someone's house and let's say they're a, a, a husband or wife or, or worse yet, even a child has been killed in a car accident and they will sit there and say, my world ended that day. And they're right. Well, what do you mean by world? So, Society, 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 hmm. civilization, it's sort of like society. It's, it's, a, it's a very slippery thing. Now, community underneath is different. And, and with more community, there's sort of the, the power of society is blunted. Yeah, this was, a, it was by Daniel K. Williams. What really happens when Americans stop going to church? They're, they're, uh, they get less moderate, actually. The fact, in fact, people become even more entrenched in their political views when they stop attending services. They, they, their religion becomes their politics. Though churches have a reputation in some circles as promoting hyper politi 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 politicization, they can be 
they can um, they can be depolarizing institutions. Being part of a religious community often forces people to get along with others, including others with different political views. And in many channels, people's efforts into charitable work or forms of community outreach that have little to do with politics. Leaving the community removes those moderating forces, opening the doors to extremism. What does Jordan have to say here? Be I want to be. Well, or that's who I should be comparing myself to, mm. right? That's the pride. And the pride is something like, I should be that, or even I could be that. It's like, well, maybe you could, but you're certainly not going to do it, as you already pointed out, without the apprenticeship, right? So you could say that the despondency is actually, is, is in proportion to the, to the false pride. Now, I wrote a chapter in, I think, my first book, which was compare yourself to who you are today, not to who someone else is. Sorry, I, I mangled that to some degree, but you get the point. The pro he mangled his rule for life. Proper comparison group for you is you yesterday, because you can make. First of all, you're the you're your you're the only control group that's appropriate to you, because you have a certain set of talents, and possibilities, and limitations, and tragedies that are truly unique to you, and so. You might be comparing yourself to someone else on some dimension, but it's not a reasonable comparison because you don't know what talents they were blessed with, and you also don't know what opportunities they had that you didn't, etc. It's just not a reasonable comparison. It's a lot better to think about who you were and then to think, well, could you be somewhat better in some dimension? And the, the, the positive thing about that is the answer is almost always yes. Now, you can orient that transformation towards some stellar target. And that's a reasonable thing to do, but that doesn't exactly mean that you should compare yourself to that target. Aiming at something and comparing yourself to it are not exactly the same thing. And that's key right there, because it's an ideal. And so the first point stands. Your ideals that you're doing your sense-making through on the internet, be careful, including me, be careful. I, 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 I'm not going to tell you I'm the ideal of much of anything. I guess, I guess I'm the ideal me right now because that's what I got. But be careful because we're doing these sense makings through each other. And these beings of light, these screeings, like I like to play around with the words and call them, of, of light that we're using, we're doing our sense making through them, we're doing our moral navigating through them, we're doing all of these through them. And again, a little plug for Estuary, because the individual I was talking to, was, he, he, he talked about the fact that he had left the city and was living more out in the country, which I'm sure in many ways is a very healthy thing to do. But what that means is his options for community are, are less than in some ways. Now, you might argue that in a rural area, maybe they're greater because you're sort of, sort of stuck with each other. And there is more there is more diversity in a rural area than people often uh, give credit for, but yeah, it's yeah. Most of us, as sort of at a consumer posture, try to uh, find community. You're probably going to have to build it, and and I think and I just did my talk with. 
uh, Chad today. I think a lot of what this little corner is about is trying to build community. Now we're using the internet, but the goal is that it won't just stay on the internet because community is where, well, you know, once, once, I mean, all the good people at Living Stones, they don't, I'm no celebrity here. I'm just me. And that community does that because we get to see each other in a much broader way. Now, all this society stuff, that's that hyper object way up there. Okay, it's got its place. And, you know, there, there's a degree of anxiety that we should have about it, so on and so forth. But the community is the important thing. And, you know, here I am again telling people watching me on YouTube or listening to me, yeah, turn it off and be with real people. I guess that's not good for my algorithm, but so be it. Anyway, let me know what you think. Leave a comment.